they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, October the 7th, the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary, which is also this year the first Friday of the month of October. So we have the first Friday of the month. We honor the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Jesus asks us to honor his heart, especially on the first Fridays of the month. So we do that. We make the nine first Fridays in reparation for the sins committed against the most sacred heart of Jesus. God is love, right? And he who abides in love, abides in God and God in him. And the heart to us in the West represents love. It's interesting because in the Hebrew Old Testament, the heart represented the center of thought. The thoughts of his heart last from age to age to rescue them from death and preserve them in time of famine. Um, it was the liver was the center of love. Hmm. We don't find that very romantic. So we like the heart. But uh, anyway, the, the heart of Jesus is that, that heart that is beating. Yes, he, he really became man. Our God is incarnate, and he remains the God-man for all eternity. In heaven, the second person of the Blessed Trinity still has his humanity, and his humanity is glorified. And um, he still bears his scars, by the way. So we pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We ask the angels to join us here. Sanctus, 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 Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Pleni sunt celia terra, gloria tua. Hosanna in excelsis, benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini. Hosanna in excelsis. So we ask for the grace of the Holy Spirit to inspire us and to help, and help us and enlighten us to know our faith better and to fall more deeply in love with God every day, to know that we are made in God's image as persons to be loved and that we are precious and dear to him. And today is a special feast, the feast of our, um, our Lady of the Rosary. Uh, Catholics may have forgotten where this feast came from and um, its history, but I can assure you the Muslims haven't. You see, in 1531, the Muslim Turks were going to destroy Europe's Christianity. They were going to overtake Europe and forcibly make everyone Muslim. And the Pope prayed. He asked the people of the Christian world to pray that um, our Blessed Mother would intercede and ask, and ask her son to deliver them from being made slaves and being, uh, having their Christianity taken away from them. And so the people prayed, and what happened was the Christian fleet was going to battle with the Muslim Turks, and the Muslim Turks had a formidable fleet, and um, they chose the leader from, for the Christian fleet from a landlocked country, Austria. Austria's landlocked, and yet Don Juan of Austria was the man who was chosen to be the admiral of the Christian fleet. But what did the Christians had? They had the prayer they had prayer, and they begged God for mercy, and they prayed. And when it was time for the battle, this wind came up that, that was in opposition to the Muslim fleet so that the Christians were able to, to win a resounding victory over the Muslims. And as a matter of fact, there were Muslims at the battle who were converted because they saw the angels fighting for the Christians, and they realized you know, this is not a, this is not, we're not fighting men. 
we're fighting against God. He sent his angels to protect these people. And so um, the Pope established this day, October 7th, the day that the Muslim fleet was defeated, the Turkish fleet, um, as the Feast of Our Lady of the Holy Rosary. And, and nowadays I'm, I'm beginning to wonder, you know, I, have we lost again the sense of, of, of who is our captain? What is this war that we are fighting? How do we fight it? We're Christians. We have the word of God. Now, first of all, the word of God for us is a person. The second person of the Blessed Trinity is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, read it. it yeah, Jesus Christ is God, and, and he be, God became man. The second person of the Blessed Trinity really became man. He took to himself a human nature, but he's one person, the second person of the Blessed Trinity. And so he is the one who fights for us because, as Paul will tell us in one of his letters— Remember, Paul's letters are inspired by the Holy Spirit. This isn't St. Paul giving us his opinion. Saint, the Holy Spirit is inspiring Paul to instruct Christians as to how to fully live their Christian life. Well, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and by loving him and keeping his commandments. And so he says, um, our battle is not against flesh and blood. <laughs> It is in this sense that we have to fight against our own flesh because of concupiscence, because of original sin. We want to sin. <laughs> we need to admit that. We need to acknowledge that we're weak and that we're sinful. We have original sin. Yeah, we were baptized, and in baptism, original sin was removed, but the effects of original sin were not removed. So we still have to battle with ourselves, but our battle is with powers and principalities. So we can battle with our own flesh, yes, and, and we, can, we can, you know, discipline our flesh, as, as Paul talks about that. He says, you know, I, I di just like athletes discipline their bodies to win a crown that's perishable, so we too, Christians, should be disciplining ourselves in the spiritual life and in the physical life, in the, in the temporal life, so that we can be strong against temptation, because we have to b fight a battle against our own flesh, the world, the flesh, and the devil, you know, but... But we also have to know that we are fighting powers and principalities. And when we sin, every time we sin, we give the enemy a little more power over us. And we have a mutual enemy. By the way, there's no human person on the face of this earth who doesn't have the devil as his enemy. Now, some people want to make an alliance with the devil. They think that they get power over other people or they're able to do things or they're able to have money or power or, you know, pleasure. Well, there's a price to be paid for that. It's called hell for all eternity. So what are these armaments that we need to arm ourselves with in order to engage in this spiritual warfare? And from, from today's feast, we learn one of these armaments and, and prayer. And what is prayer? Mother Teresa once said, she said, the fruit of silence is prayer. And the fruit of prayer is faith. And the fruit of faith is love. And the fruit of love is service. And the fruit of service is peace. So we have to start by silencing ourselves before God humbling ourselves in prayer and begging for the gift of faith. And when God gives us the faith, he will also inflame our hearts with love. God is love. 
And if he gives us faith, yes, the love comes. And then that love needs to be an active love. It's faith working through love and it's service to our neighbor. You know, Jesus at the last judgment says, I was hungry and you gave me to eat and I was thirsty and you gave me to drink and I was naked and you clothed me and I was in prison and you visited me and I was homeless and you sheltered me and I was sick and you visited me. When, Lord, whenever you did it for one of the least of my brothers. So we have to serve our neighbor for the love of God. But our neighbor is also our family. And we have to begin with our family. If we're husbands and wives, we have to serve each other and our children. And then we have to take that beyond our family and serve in our parish, in our community, and to help people come to know God. And it's not just a a, a service of of, um, social work. It's trying to bring others to Christ through love. So we have this prayer. And of course, today's feast teaches us especially the the prayer of the Holy Rosary. I remember Scott Hahn once did a a talk on on the rosary. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure, and we probably have it somewhere, beads for the battle. But what is the battle? The battle is against sin and against Satan. It's against the wiles of the enemy. The devil wants to trick us into thinking that we have a lasting happiness in this passing world, that, um, that we can forget about heaven because, oh, that's down, down the road a piece, and we don't have to worry about that till later. You know, uh, there's a story in the life of St. Thomas More that gives us a very stark example of not putting off till tomorrow what needs to be done today. He was at the king's banquet, and he was being very mortified in what he was eating, and Will, one of the young men who was in the court, I think his name was Will. Anyway, this young man was at the, and he was there. And he's like, Thomas, enjoy yourself. This is the king's banquet. And Thomas said, I'm enjoying myself. I'm fine. He said, but Thomas, eat more, drink more. And he said, no, I'm, I'm fine. I, I'm mortifying myself. I'm fine. I, I don't need to eat or drive. I've had enough. He said, Thomas, this is the king's banquet. And Thomas More said, you need to prepare yourself at every moment for death because we never know when death is coming. And the young man, oh, well. I can worry about that tomorrow. So this young man is living in the king's court and he's enjoying himself and he's indulging his flesh and, you know, enjoying the pleasures of eating and drinking and just relaxing and taking it easy and forgetting about the fact that he has an immortal soul, that he needs to repent of his sins and he needs to prepare for death. Well, you know, he says, well, I'll, I'll worry about that later. It's okay, Thomas. Don't, don't, I'll be fine. And so later, um, a friend, a mutual friend comes to Thomas and he tells him that the young man died. And, and Thomas said, how? How did he die? And the friend said, you don't want to know. He said, what do you mean I don't want to know? How did he die? He said, no, you really don't want to know. No, I do want to know. And, and Thomas insisted he wanted to know. So finally the friend said, well, his horse went over the bridge. And the last words out of his mouth were to curse God. He hadn't prepared. And so he died as he was living. His life was a curse of God. When we just indulge our flesh and live for the present moment and for ease and comfort, we're cursing God by our lives. We need to wake up and start living as if we believe that today is the last day of our life. I hear that music. Prepare yourself. We're going to arm ourselves for this spiritual battle. Begin with the rosary here. Today on the Feast of the Holy Rosary. We'll be right back. Tell your friends and family to join us. Let other people know. Share Virgin Most Powerful with everyone you know. 
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, October 7th, 2022. Thank you for your support. Um, Support our shows by going to catholicrc.org and purchase the downloads there. We have downloads there. Um, other programs and uh, that we have recorded over the years. Catholic Resource Center has been around for quite a while, so we have a lot of available resources for you to learn your faith more fully. And knowing our faith and living our faith especially, it's not enough just to know it. Remember, our faith is not an intellectual exercise primarily. Our faith is a love relationship with God. The fruit of silence is prayer. The fruit of prayer is faith. The fruit of faith is love. The fruit of love is service. And the fruit of service is peace. So Mother Teresa of Calcutta's words to us. So beads for the battle. We want uh, the armaments of spiritual warfare. How do we arm ourselves for this spiritual warfare in which we are engaged? And if you don't know you're in a battle for your soul, you're probably losing it. That's what the saints have warned us. So, um, you know, and, and, and our country especially, we see things happening. It's almost unbelievable. And we don't need to talk about all the errors and all the horrible things that are going on. But we can acknowledge that they're out there. There's a lot of sinful behavior going on. People are calling good evil, and they're calling evil good. Um, the Bible warns us about this. There will come a time men will do this. And we have to fight against this. We have to say, no, God is good. And keeping his commandments is what is good. That's what's good. If we're not keeping God's commandments, that's not good. That's evil. Okay? Rejecting, rejecting God is evil. You know, some people think that Satan, how could he have rejected God once he saw him? Well, Satan never saw God face to face. You see, if he actually saw God face to face, he couldn't reject him. God is so good and so beautiful. We would be so overwhelmed by his love. It would either just kill us and annihilate us, or we, we would just choose him. It's just it's like, there's nothing else. What else could I want? Well, Satan didn't see him face to face. He had mystical knowledge of God. He had to pass a trial. And that trial was he saw a vision of his son, the son of God, becoming man. And Satan was like, what? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. You know, I had another plan, Lord. I had another plan. Uh, can't my plan work? And, and he said, I won't serve. I will not serve man. And I won't serve your son as man. And he rejected God, and he rejected God's plan. So he never saw God face to face. He didn't get to. It was the angels who said, that following St. Michael, who is like God, and battled against the devil. And there was no longer a place found for, for Lucifer and his followers, one-third of the angels, who fell away. And that was evil. That Evil is the rejection of goodness. It's the absence of goodness. It's not a creature. It's not a being. You know, some people make the mistake of thinking, well, well, God created sin. No, God didn't make sin. You see, sin is not a creation. Sin is evil. It's an absence. It's the absence of goodness. It's the rejection of goodness. So we want to give up sin. By the way, <laughs> the, first, the first line of defense, give up sin. That's your first line of defense against, against the enemy. Give up sin. And, and how do we know that giving up sin is pleasing to God and actually loving God? Well, you know, in his Last Supper dialogue, Jesus, when he's with the apostles, only John the Apostle gives us the words that our Lord spoke to his apostles at the Last Supper, other than the institution of the Holy Eucharist. There's a very few words in the, in the Synoptic Gospels given to us by Matthew, Mark, and Luke at the Last Supper. 
But John in his gospel, he had already given us the teaching of the Eucharist that Christ would establish. He would give us his own flesh to eat. He had already done that in in the sixth chapter of his gospel. So when it comes to the Last Supper, he gives us an account, a detailed account of the words that our Lord speaks. And in John 14, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, if he had just said that once, we might say, well, you know, yeah, he meant that. I mean, no, but he, he understands we're weak. And then he goes on. That's, that's John 14, verse 15. And then in John 14, verse 21, he says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And just in case we didn't get the message, now this is the last supper dialogue. This is the last, his last will and testimony, as it were. The words he's speaking to his apostles at the last supper, the night before he is to die. And that night he knows what's following, what's going to come. He knows the agony in the garden. He knows what's coming. He goes on in John 15, beginning at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So three times, he tells us that if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. That this is how much, this is what's going to show that we love him, is that striving to keep the commandments. And it's like, oh, the, the world is telling us, well, you can't do it. You know, the modern theologians, oh, you know, well, oh, that's an ideal. The Ten Commandments, that's the ideal, but we really can't keep those. Because the people in the Old Testament, well, the people in the Old Testament didn't have the sacraments, honey. They didn't have Jesus Christ incarnate. They didn't have the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the, the Word of God incarnate, living among them, the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. They didn't have baptism and confirmation and Holy Communion and confession and the anointing of the sick and the, and the, the um, ordination and matrimony and the, and the um, anointing of the sick. I think I said that. And so they didn't have the seven sacraments. We do. We have the power to keep the commandments of God. We have a grace that they didn't have in the Old Testament. And there were many saints of the Old Testament. And even as much as Paul talks about how difficult it was for the Jews to keep the law, Paul talks about the fact that he scrupulously kept the law through discipline. He scrupulously kept the law. And even pagans knew, Socrates, 325 BC, knew that if you wanted to know God, you had to live a disciplined, mortified life, and you had to give up sinning. So he was married to one woman, he was faithful to that woman, and he didn't give in to the immorality of the world around him. He lived a virtuous, disciplined, mortified life to the best of his ability. It's like, you know, even a pagan knew. And yet Jesus Christ gives us so much more. He gives us his own grace. He gives us himself in the Eucharist. We have the seven sacraments, by the way. Armaments, right? We were baptized. Remember that when we were conceived, we weren't God's friends. Because of original sin, Adam and Eve had lost grace. They lost grace when they sinned. And because they lost grace, they became God's enemies. And we became slaves of the devil. And so 
God promised a Savior. Genesis 3.15, Proto-Evangelium. The first good news, God will send a Savior. He's not going to abandon us. And when Jesus came, all of the Old Testament was a preparation for Jesus' coming. Okay? And the reason why Paul in the letter to the Galatians, which is being read this week in, in, the, in the scriptures at daily mass, is telling the, the Galatians and told his, the, 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 the pagan converts, the Greek converts, the, the non-Jewish converts to the Christian faith, that they didn't have to keep the circumcision laws. They didn't keep the dietary laws. They didn't have to do the animal sacrifices in the temple. He didn't say they didn't have to keep the Ten Commandments. That's not what he said. He said, you don't have to follow the works of the law, circumcision, the dietary laws, the, um, the, the washings of hands and dishes and cups, okay, and, and the, the, the animal sacrifice of the temple. Those are the works of the law that Paul is referring to in Galatians and Romans and in his letters. Because now we have the fulfillment of the old law, and all of those things were pointing to Christ who fulfills all of those. So it is Christ who washes us and makes us clean, not from the outside in, from the inside out. He transforms us by his grace. From grace into glory, we are being transformed into living images of God. I live now, not I, but Christ lives in me, Paul will say. The circumcision, baptism is the new circumcision. The animal sacrifices, Christ offers the one perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice of himself, his own flesh and blood on the cross. The sacrifice of the cross, which is made present to us in his risen, ascended, glorified state at every sacrifice of the mass. Not that we re-crucify Christ, but that one eternal sacrifice is made present, that heaven and earth are united at the holy mass. All of heaven and all of earth are joined to offer to the Father the perfect act of worship and praise and adoration and glory and thanksgiving. And even during the lockdown, even though our churches were locked and most of us couldn't get to a mass, there was still masses being offered. The mass didn't cease to be offered. Priests were offering holy mass during that time, and we could, we could assist from our homes. And so we, we offer... Christ to his father as a perpetual offering. He offers himself. The victim who immolated himself is no longer dying, but he lives for all eternity, that act of immolated love. In heaven, he still offers himself to the father. Read Revelation 5. The lamb still bears his scars in heaven. The lamb of God who died on the cross still bears his scars in heaven, and he offers himself to the father. So the sacraments arm us for this battle, this battle, because our battle is not with with not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers. The devil is very clever. The Irish used to say, the devil knows not so much because he is an old man, but because, excuse me, the devil not so, no, no, I'm getting all mixed up. That's not what they say. (laughs) The Irish are all like, what are you talking about? The devil knows not so much because he is the devil as because he is a very old man. Well, he is a very old man. He's an angel. And and he didn't, you know, he, he was made by God before man was made. So he was made before God created man. So he's been around longer than that. And he has a tremendous intellect, even though he's fallen and his intellect is darkened and he hates God now and that hatred darkens his intellect. 
so that he couldn't even see the plan of God as it unfolded before his eyes on the earth. And so he was constantly fighting against it everywhere and every, you know, which way. But he, he, he's losing. He's, he's losing the battle, and he will lose the battle. That doesn't mean he's not going to take souls with him. It doesn't mean that some people won't fall. If we don't stay close to Christ, if we don't unite ourselves to Christ and make use of the means that God has given us so that God will send his angels to defend us. In the Old Testament, we have that. Remember, we talked about this last week in the spiritual battle and, and the prophet Elisha. And when they sent the, the army to, to capture Elisha because he was informing the king of Israel about the, the king's enemies and their plans. And... Um, Elisha prays to God, and Elisha's servant is like, my father, they've come to get us, we're lost. And and the prophet says, God, open his eyes and let him see. And and the the, the prophet's assistant sees all of the angels on the hills who are going to fight for Elisha. And they strike, strike all the enemies blind. And then, you know, no, we trust in God. We put our trust in God. I hear that music again. Again, I want to thank everyone who supports us. I want to thank all of our listeners. And please share this program with everyone that you know. And and thank you for your donations. Thank you, those of you who offer your sufferings and your prayers for us. We really need that, and we appreciate it. Don't go away. Ask your friends and family to join us. We'll be right back. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you. And welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. Thank you to all the radio stations that pick up our signal for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you for all those of you who've downloaded our free app. Those of you who join us on our website on uh, Twitter or Facebook or Rumble or follow us on Twitter or um, um, whatever those programs are, Rumble. Those who watch our uh, full sheen ahead on, on YouTube. And uh, we're talking about spiritual warfare and the armaments of spiritual warfare. And we've, we've talked about God's love, a great armament, that, that, and, and we know that we're loving God when we keep his commandments, and that the grace of the sacraments that are established by Jesus Christ in the new law, that this gives us, his sacraments give us the grace to keep the commandments, his commandments. And we have um, the rosary, the holy rosary, today's feast, you know, beads for the battle, that we're, we, we know we're not fighting alone. We have, we have our guarding angels. We have our patron saints. We have the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph. We have um, all of heaven to fight on our side. And when we were baptized, we became living temples of God. God came to dwell in us, you know? So we are temples of God. Know you not that your body is a temple of God. That we were made one with God in baptism. And then when we receive Jesus in the Eucharist, we become one, even more so, one with him. We receive him, body, blood, soul, and divinity, under the appearance of bread. But it's really God, the God-man. And when we receive the Son, we receive the Father and the Holy Spirit because there's only one God. There are three divine persons in God, but they're not divided. They're always united. They're always working together. We make, there are distinctions within the Trinity, but when they work outside the Trinity, they're always working together. So only the Son became man, but nonetheless the Father and the Holy Spirit are with him the whole time. So what are some of these others, um, you know, these other practices, these other armaments that we need to do? Well, grace, God's grace that we received in baptism and that we can, re, you know, grace is a gift from God. He, there's uncreated grace, which is God himself, 
We call that sanctifying grace when, we, when God himself gives himself to us in the sacraments. And whenever we receive a sacrament in the state of grace, we receive more sanctifying grace. And then there's the actual grace, the graces of God's help. And, um, you know, simply asking for grace. My God, I believe in you. Increase my faith. I hope in you. Increase my hope. I trust you. Strengthen my trust. I love you. Let me love you more and more. I am sorry for my sins. Give me a true, intense, and pure contrition for my sins with a firm purpose of amendment. So then um, we have to practice the presence of God, the saints have said, to be consciously aware um, that God is always with us. He's always present to us. He never forgets about us. You know, in, in chapter 15 of John's gospel, Jesus used the analogy of the vine, that he is the vine and we are the branches. Well, if he's the vine, just like St. Paul uses the analogy of the body, the church is the body of Christ, and he is the head and we are the members individually thereof. We're, we're, we're members of his body. That if he is the vine, then all of the, all of the life for the vine flows through the main vine out to the branches. So life flows through Christ. And it's only if we're connected to him that we're going to receive this life. So we practice the presence of God. We try and live in his presence and remind, remember that he's always present to us. We just need to strive to live in his presence day by day. And Jesus told us in the gospel, how, you know, people, how often are we supposed to pray? He said, pray always. Pray always. And you know, make of everything you do a prayer. We offer everything to God, our morning offering. You know, O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary and the faithful and compassionate heart of St. Joseph, I offer you all my prayers, works, joys, sorrows, sufferings of this day, in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass, with Christ's own sacrifice. And we offer it for all the intentions of his sacred heart, for all of his intentions, and for the church, for our Holy Father and the bishops, and for all the members of the Apostleship of Prayer. We pray for each other. That we're united together in prayer and we're constantly praying. Pray always. And we talked about keeping the commandments. And if we really love God, we will keep his commandments. So Jesus says to pray always. And at Fatima, the angel taught the children to make of everything they do a sacrifice by saying, whatever they do, you're eating your lunch, you're doing your work, you're cleaning the house, you're, you're taking care of your bodily needs even. You know, um, you're taking care of your children. You're taking care of the sick or the poor or, or just whatever you're doing. Jesus, it is for love of you, for the conversion of sinners and reparation for the sins committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary and for the sins committed against your Sacred Heart. So we pray always and arm ourselves. But that armament, remember, the battle has to be fought we can't fight the battle. We need to allow God, by the presence of the Holy remember, we're temples of the Holy Spirit, right? God's Spirit dwells within us. We received His Spirit. And so we ask the Holy Spirit to work in and through us to accomplish His good will and pleasure. What is it, Lord, that you want to accomplish in and through me? What is my role? What is my mission in the building up of the kingdom of God? You know, we're here on this earth not to serve ourselves. We're here on this earth to bring about the kingdom of God. We don't have a lasting city in this passing world. We have our focus on heaven. We want to go to heaven. We want to be there where true joys are. The true, joys, true joy is union with God. Now, that begins here on earth when we live in his grace and keep his commandments. 
and know that he loves us and we love him in return. And, and the saints teach us how to pray and they teach us how to humble ourselves before God and to ask for his help. St. Therese of Lezou taught us to pray, my God, lend me your love with which to love you that you may be loved as you deserve. And um, she also taught us, you know, she used to pray. She, she, Jesus at the Last Supper told his apostles to love one another as I have loved you. And, and in prayer one day, Therese said to Jesus, she said, Jesus, wait a minute, I can't love you the way you love, I can't love my neighbor the way you love me because you loved me first. And um, the only way for me to love my neighbor the way that you love me is if you were to lend me your heart. So she prayed, Jesus, lend me your heart with which to love my neighbor, that I may love my neighbor as you have commanded me. You see, read the lives of the saints. Only read what they wrote so that you learn to pray from them. And this should be constant every day. Don't be listening to the news all day long. Don't be listening to the radio all day long. Don't be listening to disordered music. Don't be going to disordered entertainments, by the way. These things are taking you away from God. There's no standing still in the spiritual life. You're either getting closer to God every day or you're getting further away. We have to guard our senses. We have to guard what comes in through our senses and make sure that everything that comes in through our senses is in accord with God's holy will and is going to lead us closer to God. And there's no neutral ground. Everything we do, everything we think, do, say, everything we omit to think, do, and say is either taking us closer to God moment by moment or taking us away from God. And, and so it's an arduous task. It's an uphill battle. But we have all the graces and helps we need because God himself is our help. God is our help. So we have all these helps, but are we using them or are we, you know, are we looking at what the enemy is doing and watching the news all day? It's so funny. I'm getting all these um, from conservative groups. I'm getting all these notices about, well, we're going to lose this election because we're not raising enough money. And I'm thinking, you know, if you think, if you people think that you're going to win this election by, by raising enough money, and I understand the need to advertise and to have money to do those things and support with, you know, advertisement and, and getting the word out there. But if you think that's what's going to win you the election is money, then you're not representing me. And also, I read, I read you know, even you know, people say we're Republicans and Democrats. And no, it's not about Republicans and Democrats. It's about God. What is God's will for our country? What is God's will for this people? How does God want us to live? Does God want us to live a life where children are killed, innocent children are killed, where innocent people are killed because they're not convenient or they don't want to go along with the political agenda? Does he want a, a world where there's injustice, where there's human trafficking, where there's drug abuse, where there's slavery? Or does God want a world where we all keep the commandments we all live according to God's commandments, and we all know that we're answerable to God for everything we think, do, and say, or omit to think, do, and say in this life. And then we try to serve one another out of love for God. By the way, that was the vision of the founding fathers. We don't need big central government. Because big central government, the bigger the government, the smaller the individual. No, we need central government to provide for to promote the general welfare, to provide for the common defense, and to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. But we don't need them to, to regulate every aspect of our life. 
your local school board is supposed to regulate the schools, and that local school board is supposed to be um, run by parents who send their children to that school. Okay? And the schools are not supposed to be places of indoctrination. They're supposed to be places where, people, where children learn to read and write and do arithmetic so that they can, you know, function in this world. <laughs> so what does this have to do with the Bible? It has to do with the fact that we're supposed to be spreading the kingdom of God. We're not spreading a kingdom of man, and we definitely don't want this, the, the, the culture of death. That's not what we want. And if, if, the, you know, the, if the Republican Party doesn't think that life is the most important issue, well, then they're not the party that's representing me anymore. Because the most important issue is life. If I don't have the right to life, then I have no rights. And if you think money is the answer, then you're not, the, you're not representing me. Because, no, I don't have millions of dollars to give you. And even if I did, I wouldn't because there are the poor. And I don't need the government to feed the poor. By the way, government programs don't feed the poor. Government programs enable the poor not to take responsibility. Do you know that before Johnson's Great Society in this United States, this is, you know, biblical principles, right? In these United States, before the government program of Johnson's Great Society of, the two, of 1960, 75% of all African-American children were born to a, to a husband and wife in a solvent family. And 50% of all small businesses in this country were owned by African-Americans. And this is according to young African-Americans who've researched and testified before the Senate. They don't need handouts from the big government. They don't need the big government to come in and take over. They just need fathers to take care of their families. We're going to be back. We're talking about spiritual warfare. And believe me, the family is the center of that warfare because God established the family. Don't go away. Tell your friends and family. Join us. It's Bible study. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. They say time flies when you're having a good time. I must be having a good time because this time is just going way too fast. So we're talking about the armaments of spiritual warfare because we need to arm ourselves for this battle. We are in a battle. We are in a battle for the soul of our country. We're in the battle for the soul of our church. We're in the battle for the souls of our family. We're in the battle for our own soul. And if we don't know we're in it, we're probably losing it. So wake up and engage in the battle. But remember, we're not alone. Jesus Christ has sent his angels to guard you in all of your ways. They will, upon their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Remember last week we talked about spiritual warfare and, and Psalm 91. That's your battle psalm. Read it. Read that battle psalm every day. Pray your rosary every day. Go to mass as often as possible, daily if you can, if your duties of your state and life permit. Go to confession at least once a month. Receive Jesus worthily in Holy Communion. Fast. If I'm not in the state of grace, Lord, put me in the state of grace. And if I'm in the state, keep me in the state of grace. That prayer comes from St. Joan of Arc. And again, prepare for battle. What was the way she prepared for battle? Who is Joan of Arc? In the 1400s, there was a group in France who wanted France to be subject to England. And so they were trying to um, oust the king of France and get the king of England to be the king of France. Well, God raised up this little peasant girl, Joan, and he sent St. Michael the Archangel and St. Catherine of Alexandria and one other saint to train Joan so that she would lead the armies of France to oust all the English supporters 
and France would defeat them, and she, her, her role would be to crown the king of France. And so this happens, and you can read about it, and Mark Twain wrote a story about St. Joan of Arc, so you can read his account, or you can read other accounts. And what did Joan do? What had God instructed her? When Joan came to the camp where the generals were, here's this peasant girl, and she says, okay, the followers have to leave the camp, the women, no women allowed around the camp. The men have to give up gambling, they have to give up drinking, they have to give up swearing, they have to go to confession, and they have to go to mass, and they have to pray. And the general's like, what, they're not going to do that? She said, fine, any men who won't cooperate can go home. God is going to fight this battle for you, and you will do it his way, or he will not fight the battle. You know, it's like the Israelites of the Old Testament, remember? They came to the, the promised land, and Joshua and Caleb says, we can take the land because the Lord promised he will fight the battle for us. But the other 70 men who reconnoitered the land said, oh, they, 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 they spread discouraging reports among the people and said, oh, no, the, we felt like grasshoppers before these giants who live in the land, and we can't do this, and oh, they're going to kill us, and oh, you know. And the people complained against God and against Moses. And God said, fine, have it your way. Guess what? You're going back out into the wilderness. You spent 40 days reconnoitering the land. Joshua and Caleb told you you could take the land, that I would fight your battle. You wouldn't listen to them. So I'll tell you what. You go back out into the wilderness, and you will spend 40 years in that wilderness. And every one of you from this generation who rebelled against me will die in the wilderness. And your children will be the ones who will be brought in. But you will spend 40 years in that wilderness, one year for every day that you rebelled against me. But what did the Israelites have to do in order for God to fight on their side? They had to keep his commandments. Over and over again, when they kept his commandments, when they restored the proper worship of God, when they did the liturgy according to God's will. And by the way, liturgy comes to us from God. Yes, it's the work of man, some say. But no, it's not actually. It's the work of God teaching us how to pray. God teaches us because we don't know how to pray as we ought. We're sinners and we get it wrong. God himself came down out of heaven to show us how we're supposed to pray. Especially the holy sacrifice of the mass. That's not something men do. Read the first three pages of the council document, Vatican II, Sacrosanctum Concilium. Who does liturgy? The Lamb of God. The second person of the Blessed Trinity, the Son of God. Because the liturgy is the worship of God. And it's only carried out properly when God shows us how to do it. And it's God himself who does it. And anyone who wants to know, by the way, how to answer people who say that Vatican II broke away from the church and, and, and removed us from tradition, read Sacrosanctum Concilium. Read it. And then read the general instruction on the Roman Missal from the Vatican Council II document. And again, it is the Lamb of God who carries on the worship of God. So when we go to Mass... This is not our work. This is the work of the Son of God who teaches us how to pray. And how does he pray? Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. 
and he makes of himself a complete offering to his father on behalf of sinners. He pays a debt that he didn't know because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. And his mother is there to help us. Mary intercedes for us. And so is St. Joseph and all the saints and angels because the worship of heaven is brought down out of heaven onto the altar at the moment of the Holy Mass when the consecration takes place. The sacrifice of Calvary is transported into our midst. Time and space do not exist. And we are no longer in, you know, this day. And we are in heaven worshiping with all the angels and saints, but we're also present and real, true witnesses of the real death of Jesus on the cross, mystically represented to us in an unbloody manner. That's why the the bread and the wine are consecrated separately, but they really become his risen, ascended, glorified body, blood, soul, and divinity. This is the source of our battle strength. And the battle right now is over the family. It's over the family. Abortion, it's a battle against the family that is induced, legalized, induced abortion, whether it be chemically induced or surgically induced. Contraception, artificial contraception is a battle against the family. Divorce is a battle against the family. Homosexuality, active homosexuality, active, the active practice saying that two men can get married or two women, that's a battle against the family. Why? God established the family as an image of himself. God is the original family because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when Joan of Arc was sent to battle against the English and drive the English out of France so that she could crown the king, that was her job. That was her role. And she ended up being martyred. She received her crown of glory, and she was faithful to the end. And she is the one who taught us to pray, Lord, if I'm not in the state of grace, put me in the state of grace. And if I'm in the state of grace, keep me in the state of grace. Because I want to be in the state of grace. I want to be living in your grace because that's the only way, Lord. Then you can fight the battle for me. If I fall out of your grace, you can't fight for me anymore. I have to stay in your grace in order for you to fight the battle for me. And so Joan insisted that the men go to confession and they receive Holy Communion, and that they say their prayers, and that they don't gamble, and they don't curse, and they don't have women in the camp, so that they're not committing fornication and adultery. The followers were sent away. They called them followers. <laughs> God have mercy on those women, you know, and, and on all of us. The family, the family, the family, because the family is the living image of God in this world. And yes, there are lots of people who are confused in their identity and in their... Um, their gender. But, but you know what? Living a lie isn't going to make it better or make it true. And the world is trying to confuse us. We have to look to God. What did God make? In the beginning, God made them male and female. The truth will set you free. The truth, because the truth is a person, Jesus Christ. It's not my truth and your truth. There is one truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life said Jesus Christ. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living, quoted Bishop Sheen. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. 
He is the one who leads us in battle. And we have the angels to be with us, to fight at our sides. He's given us angels. They're powerful. Ask your guardian angel, but stay in the state of grace and ask God every day. Examine your conscience every day. Say your rosary, say your chaplet of mercy, go to mass every day if you can, go to confession at least once a month, at least once a month. Read your scriptures every day. And if you go to mass every day, the scriptures are read to you. Take a few minutes to think about what God is saying to you today. Spend time in silence with the Lord every day. The fruit of silence is prayer. The fruit of prayer is faith. The fruit of faith is love. The fruit of love is service, and the fruit of service is peace. If we want peace on this earth, we have to work for justice. And what is justice? Justice is to give every man his due. And every man his due is not freedom to do whatever I want. As Jim Caviezel said, freedom is not the liberty to do whatever I want. It's the liberty to do my duty, to do what I ought to do. And what ought I to do? I ought to serve the Lord my God and live as his true child in the freedom that Jesus Christ won for us by his blood. We have been purchased. We have been bought and paid for and at a price, the price of the precious blood of the only son of God. The second person of the blessed Trinity really became man and he shed his blood for us. It is his blood that will give us the courage in the battle. He washes us clean in his blood. We have to give up our sins. We have to return to God. Pray that rosary. Today is First Friday. Go to church and make a visit. Go back to Mass on Sunday. Let everyone know. Tell all your friends and neighbors, we have to go back to church. We need to fill our churches again. We are in desperate straits. We are in a spiritual battle where people are calling evil good, and they're calling good evil, and good people are being imprisoned. People who are doing the right thing are being sent to jail for doing the right, for doing the good and the true and the beautiful. The world won't tolerate the good and the true and the beautiful anymore. The only way to defeat the enemy is to allow Christ to defeat him through the power of the cross, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Flee, behold the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Flee all you powers of darkness. Lift high the cross and cling to it. Here is our battle cry. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is our Lord and our Savior and our King. Jesus, live in our hearts. Jesus, live in our hearts. Jesus, live in our hearts. Thank you for joining us on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Please share this podcast with your friends, your family, your enemies, your neighbors, everyone, and tell them to tune in. And thank you for your support. Support Virgin Most Powerful Radio by calling 877-526-2151 and pray for us. Thank you, those of you who pray for us and sacrifice for us. And remember, he won the battle. The war has been won. We just have to hang in there, okay? God is with us. Catch you again next week on Five with Barbers.